1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. text we're considering this morning is verses 11 and 12, but let's read uh, for the sake of context uh, as we have been doing, uh, starting in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, down to verse 12 so we can catch this entire, entire context. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity once again uh, to be gathered together as a church family and to uh, come under the the teaching and preaching of your word. Uh, We understand that what appears before us are not the words of mere man or mere recommendations of wise men from the past, but you, Lord God, have spoken to us, and because it comes from you, we, we want to heed it as, as, as though it comes from you. So let us revere what we read, and let us be eager to put it into practice, knowing that this is your will for our lives. So give us the grace to understand, the help to understand what we, what we don't understand from this passage, and hearts that are eager to walk in obedience before you. Bless our time together, for we're dependent on you in all these things. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been working uh, for a while now, feels like, through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, this is the section of 1 Thessalonians where Paul is giving instructions to the Thessalonians as to how they are to to live and to please God. That's how verse 1 begins, right? We, We... 
we've instructed you how you are to, to, to walk and to, to please the Lord. And so as he unpacks what it looks like to please the Lord, he's been dealing with a handful of, of issues. The first we, we see was the, the need to abstain from sexual immorality in verses 3 through 8. Uh, then he addressed the need to continue in, in brotherly love in verses 9 and 10. And now this morning we come to this, uh, this address of, of the need for living a quiet life for the sake of the gospel. That's right, what he says in verses 11 and 12. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I read that set of instructions and it's like, man, leading a quiet life. That, that, like just some peace and quiet would be nice, you know. Uh, we've got two boys in the house and, and we're constantly amazed at how much chaos there can be. Uh, just, uh, just, in, just in a simple dinner time, and just trying to get through that with some peace and quiet would be nice. And so I read these instructions, you know, aspire to live quietly a life, and, a life, and I'm like, Lord, this is, this is what I'm trying to do, all right? So help me out here uh, so, so, in doing this, right? So, so this, is the, this is the instructions we have for us, right? The, the exhortation to live a quiet life, minding our own business, working with our hands so that we're a good testimony and not dependent on anyone. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Uh, an interesting topic. And I don't think it's one that, that we consider very often. Like, what does it look like to live a quiet life? In fact, most of the time as we're reading the scriptures, these kinds of exhortations, they escape our attention. Right? We just sort of so, so breeze right past them because, oh yeah, quiet life, okay, nice, whatever. And we just we sort of continue to, to read thinking that these exhortations have no impact or bearing on our life for today. I mean, just think about when's the last time you heard a sermon on what it looks like to live a quiet life, right? Boldness and, and, and confidence for the gospel, but yeah, we hear that, but, but quietness, we, we, don't, uh, we don't hear sermons about that. So it's an interesting topic for us to consider, but what I want to submit to you this morning, it's more than just interesting, it's actually important, right? Leading a quiet life for the sake of the gospel is actually Important, And I want to show you really three reasons from the context as to, to why this passage is important, right? So, so notice, first of all, the context in which this exhortation appears. It, it's placed in the same context as the need to abstain from sexual immorality and the need to continue in love. And right there, along with those two things, is this exhortation to live quietly. I mean, if, at first glance, we read this and we think like the old Sesame Street expression, one of these things is not like the other, right? Because we hear lots of exhortations in the Bible about sexual purity and love for one another, but not as much about living quietly. And so we're surprised to find it in, in this context. So that should alert us to the fact that maybe this is more important than we might originally think. The second, the second thing we notice about the, about the context here, or, or what Paul says, is, is we note the urgency with which Paul gives the instruction to live quietly. Okay, so, so notice verse 10. What we have in verse 10 is, is the main verb that controls verses 11 and 12. So in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, Paul says this, We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And he's talking about love. But then verse 11 begins with the word and. So there's two things that Paul's urging. He's urging that we love one another more and more. 
But then in verse 11, he goes on to say, and we are urging you to aspire to live quietly. So far from being just a mere suggestion or good idea, this is Paul strongly encouraging brothers in Christ to live quiet lives. Lastly, I think we note from this context that the reason why this is actually important for us is really seen in verse 12. He finishes with this expression, so live quietly, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. Now, we'll come to this phrase in our study, but just just note for now that if a quiet life impacts our testimony for the gospel, then we should automatically understand that, well, living a quiet life then comes in the category of things that are of first importance because it impacts how others receive the gospel. So then we want to be careful to live a quiet life because we want to reflect Christ well as a, as a, as a body of believers. Now, I direct your attention to, to the importance of these exhortations at the outset here because I don't, want to, I don't want us to just sort of, I don't want us to underestimate what Paul's calling us to here, okay? That this is more important than we might think and it's important for us to, to grasp if we're going to live in a way that pleases the Lord. So, maybe to help you remember this in sort of a, an easy way, I've, I've sort of summed up the passage in these words. Don't be noisy. Don't be nosy. Don't be lazy, for it can hinder your testimony and make you a burden on others. All right? So don't be noisy, nosy, or lazy, for it can hinder your testimony and make you a burden on others. Now, the way the passage breaks up is really in two ways. There, there are, the passage begins in verse 11 with three instructions. Okay? Don't be noisy, nosy, or lazy. And then it has uh, two reasons for that. So that you can walk properly before outsiders and so that you don't become a burden and become dependent on others. So let's begin with these three instructions. And we're going to kind of look at them together because they they all sort of are related to each other and and hang on, on one another. All right? So three instructions are these. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands. I'm going to show us here why these, why these are, are related together. Now, the first instruction that he gives is this one. Aspire to live quietly. Now, this exhortation, aspire to live quietly, is something of a paradox of terms. Okay? And it, 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 we don't necessarily pick it up in English, but in Greek it's maybe a little more, a little more clear. But the word aspire, it literally means to make it your ambition. So what Paul's saying is, make it your ambition or be ambitious to lead a quiet life. Now the contradiction in terms here is is this idea that ambition is usually connected to doing something or accomplishing something, right? So so ambitious people are are people that get things done. They they accomplish things. But here the call is, is to be ambitious to do nothing. Right? So, so, so be ambitious, make it your aim to, to live quietly. So I think when we have this combination of words, it teaches us something. And what I think it teaches us is this, that leading a quiet life is not something that comes naturally. Now, we would like it to come naturally, but it's not something that comes naturally. It's, it's, it's something that takes thought and care if we're going to go about our business in a quiet manner. 
Now, certainly, I think we would recognize that it comes more naturally for some people than it does others. But for most of us, leading a quiet life is going to take careful thought and an appropriate amount of effort to make sure that it happens in our daily life. So it's not necessarily natural, so it's something that we should give attention to or aspire to. Now, what does it mean to live quietly? That's really the, the question we want to ask. And, and really, as, as you unpack this and, and you read different commentaries, there's a lot of different discussion of what it means to lead and live a quiet life. So that's kind of what we want to answer here as we, as we look at this passage, right? What does it look like to live quietly? Now, the broader usage of this word quiet, like sometimes it speaks of like absolute silence, but sometimes it's speaking more of a quiet demeanor. And so the word can have sort of a broad range of usages. So it might be referring to silence after speech. At other times, it might refer to rest after labor. And at other times, it might refer to peace after war. So the term doesn't always denote absolute silence, but rather it can refer to rest or peace or tranquility or a peaceful or quiet demeanor, which I think is what's being advocated here. Now, in considering what it means to lead a quiet life, we should be careful to note, to, to note what it does not mean, okay? It does not mean that believers should refrain from boldly proclaiming the gospel. Okay, so, for example here, in, the, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2... Paul is, is communicating with the, with the Thessalonians, and he's talking about the, the, the ministry that he had among them and how he carried out his ministry. So if you go back to chapter 2 and verse 2, you'll see Paul say this. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, he says, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much, much affliction. So persecution didn't hinder Paul, Silas, and Timothy from, from boldly proclaiming the gospel. Instead, they continued to proclaim it courageously in the face of opposition. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to pit boldness against a quiet life. That the two can exist simultaneously in the life of the believer. Okay, so what does it mean then to live quietly? Well, in order to understand what it means to live quietly. Here's, what, here's what's helpful for us. We're going to do two things. First, we want to consider the two phrases that follow it, and then we want to look at the broader context of the church of, of Thessalonica and what was, what was taking place there, okay? So we want, to, we want to look at those two phrases that follow it to understand it better, and then consider the larger context in this church. Now, in the next two expressions that Paul gives us in verse 11, they, they unpack what it means to live a quiet life, right? So first he says this, okay, live quietly, and he says, mind your own affairs, that's the first one, and second he says, work with your hands. So these, these explain in more detail what it looks like to live a quiet life. Now, when we understand the broader context here, for some reason, idleness was a problem in the church at Thessalonica. He addresses it here. In chapter 5, verse 14, he encourages them to admonish the idol. 
And so we have to remember, Timothy has just returned from visiting the church at Thessalonica. He has come back to give a report to the Apostle Paul as to how they're doing. And now he, what Paul writes is, is specific to, to their needs as a congregation. And, and one of these things that they needed to hear was on this topic of idleness. Now, many have speculated as to why these individuals were idle in Thessalonica. And perhaps it was that they were so anticipating the return of the Lord that they thought to give ourselves to the mundane task of work is really just a waste of time if the Lord's going to return anyway. And this was a loving church, and so brothers were willing to, to meet one another's needs, and so, so they were becoming dependent on others because they weren't working, because they might have been waiting for the return of the Lord. You know, you've heard the old expression, they were so heavenly-minded that they were no earthly good. And that might have been these individuals there in, in Thessalonica. But in any event, idleness seemed to be one of their primary problems. Now, we've heard the expression, idle hands are the devil's playground. And that seems to be what's taking place in this congregation here. They're not working, so they've got lots of extra time on their hands. So they start to get into other people's business, and now they're busybodies spreading about the things that they, that they shouldn't, right? You can see how this is, uh, how this is uh, why Paul then says, like, mind your own business and, and work with your hands. Okay, so this is something of the context of of, uh, of what's taking place in, first Thess- in, in the church at Thessalonica. Now, the problem gets so bad with this idle, busybody activity that Paul has to address it extremely clearly in chapter, in, in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. So turn over to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3, and Paul gives a number of verses addressing this particular issue. Now, this is our scripture reading, so I, I won't... I won't go back and, and reread the whole passage, but Paul is addressing this issue of, of idleness in the Thessalonian church. So notice verses 6 and verse 14. The problem had gotten so bad that in verse 6, Paul has to say, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. And then in verse 14, he says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. So idle, idle people was becoming such a problem that they were actually called to avoid these idle people. Now, in addition, we see in verses 7 to 9 that because of the tendency of the Thessalonians to be idle, the apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy didn't make demands to receive money financially from them, but instead worked hard to set an example for these believers. Just notice what he says in verses 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Okay, so they could have asked for money as as ministers of the gospel, but instead they set an example so as not to enable these these believers in their, their idleness. Now, it gets so... Paul wants to be so clear, and he's so serious about this. He then says in verse 10, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, the apostle is very serious about what he lays down here. Now, he describes the problem in more specific detail in verse 11. So notice what he says in verse 11. When he says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, 
but busybodies. So this is the problem, right? Instead of working, instead of minding their own business, they began to stick their nose in other people's affairs, and then they were spreading the, the, the news around town as busybodies. So Paul then gives the solution in verse 12. Do your work quietly and earn your own living. Now notice that all three of the things he addresses in 1 Thessalonians 4, okay, live quietly, mind your own affairs, and work with your hands, they appear here in this context of, of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're to work quietly, we're not to be busybodies. So we see then what it looks like to live a quiet life is this idea of putting our head down, minding our own business, and being busy about the work that God has given us to do. Now there's one lady who I think embodies this term busybody. Have you ever seen the movie Anne of Green Gables? All right, I realize I've just... I realize I've just alienated half my audience, okay, or all the men in the room. But how many of you have seen, just for the sake of illustration, you've seen Anne of Green Gables? Okay, I'm really disappointed that more of you haven't seen it because it's a, it's a classic, right? So um, there's a character in this, and her name is, uh, is Rachel Lynde, right? And she, and even as I looked this up on Wikipedia, it was the first thing that came up was she was the town busybody, right? They even used the term on Wikipedia to describe this, uh, this lady, so she's the town busybody, the town gossip. She is anything but quiet. She always has her nose in other people's business, but she does it all out of care and concern for the good people of Avonlea. Now, one of the quotes, in, in when she first appears in this movie, uh, she, she, she seriously offends Anne, and they end up in this, in this conflict so Anne apologizes at the encouragement of, uh, of Matthew. And so when the apology is, is made to, to Rachel, Rachel says this in return. These are the most priceless words, and it's something of an understatement. She says this, You mustn't mind me. I'm known throughout these parts as a woman who speaks her mind. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's true. That's an understatement. But she seems to think of it as a badge of honor. You know, that's how she's known throughout these parts, Okay. And so when I think of this idea of someone who's not quiet, doesn't mind their own business, and, and, and doesn't work with their, with their hands, I think this, this lady embodies this perfect picture, right? This is the type of person that Paul has in mind when he writes these instructions. A, a, a noisy, nosy, busybody, always going about someone else's business rather than being busy about their work. Now, there's one other passage that I think summarizes this idea so helpfully. I want to take you there so we can get even more clarity on what Paul's talking about. So go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he is giving them instruction as to what kind of widows are to be supported by the church and what kind of widows are not to be supported uh, by the church. And so he says uh, there are certain type of widows that are to be added to the list to receive financial compensation. In verses 9 and 10 he says this, Let a widow be enrolled 
if she is not less than 60 years old of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Okay, this individual is to be supported by the church from, from 1 Timothy 5. But then he goes on to say in verses 11 to 15 and clarify the type of widow who are not to be added to the roles of, of financial support in the church. He goes on to say this in verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ and they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. And he says this, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger women or younger widows marry, bear children, manage their, their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. So particularly helpful for our discussion is, is verses 13 and following, which is something of a parallel of 1 Thessalonians 4, right? If younger widows were added to the, to the list to receive financial compensation— and the danger was this, that they would have too much time on their hands, that they would have no need to work, that they would become idle busybodies going around from house to house and saying things that they shouldn't. Okay? And this would bring a reproach on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So he says, giving the adversary no room to slander. Instead, Paul wants them to remarry, have kids, and work hard at the task of taking care of their home. And in this passage, we have something, we see something of the danger of having too much time on your hands. You are involved in things that you should not and can easily become an idle busybody. Now notice this. It's interesting that what Paul offers as the solution for, to, a, to a noisy, nosy life is hard work. Or in other words, we might say it sort of a, fl a flip side of that. At the heart of being noisy and nosy is a failure, a failure to give yourself to the work that God has assigned to you. Okay? If, if people would give themselves to the work that God has assigned, our world and, our, and the church would be a much quieter place. Okay? Like sometimes you, you encounter someone who is a busybody and you want to ask the question, don't you have anything better to do? Or, or you might ask, how do you have time to give yourself to all of this noise? When in fact, if you, if you dissected the issue, what you would find is that you have time for busybodiness because you're not giving yourself to the kinds of things the Lord has given you to do. So idleness stands at the root of being a busybody. Now this speaks of the benefit of, of hard work, doesn't it? Right? The hard work of providing for our families, of, of raising our children, of, of showing hospitality, of, of caring for those in need. And if we give ourselves to those things, then we'll find that we don't have time to be idle and, and spreading these kinds of, uh, these kinds of things. It, it's at this point here that I, I begin to see the wisdom of my father. Like, now, don't tell him, because this was always a point of, of tension for me. But as a teenager, he always insisted that I have a job. And sometimes 
a couple of jobs at the same time. And we would be in a conversation and, you know, we're, we're visiting a member of the church who owns a greenhouse and my father says, well, if you ever need any help, I have a son who would be glad to help you. And I'm thinking, I don't remember my brother uh, saying to me that he was looking for, you know, the, the opportunity to help out. And so then I end up with the job at the greenhouse and, and I've told stories about how I've mowed down bushes and cut, <laughs> cut things I wasn't supposed to cut, you know. So, but I always had a job, right? Sometimes it was picking blueberries, sometimes it was strawberries, sometimes it was working in the greenhouse, mowing lawns, doing constructions. And I think he knew, right, because he was wise enough to know this. He knew that if I didn't have a job, you know, that we'd be driving around throwing apples at mailboxes, right? So, so the, the wiser thing here is, is keep this kid busy so that he doesn't get into things uh, that, he shouldn't, that he shouldn't get into, right? But, but here's the reality. The problem doesn't change with, with age, Right? The older we get, if we're idle, there's still the temptation to be involved in things that don't honor Christ. So the solution Paul gives then is to work hard. Okay? So here's the question we want to ask ourselves. What tasks has the Lord given me to pursue and accomplish? that would stand sort of as the alternative of being a, a busybody. So what, what work has the Lord given you? Right? And we don't want to think of, in, of work just in terms of employment, although that is a category of work. But in addition to just employment, the Lord has given us numerous duties, tasks, and responsibility. And he's done this for our good, for the betterment of society, for the betterment of the church, and to keep us busy honoring him. And so we need to consider what tasks has the Lord given us and are there times when I'm idle that actually lead me into things that don't please Him? You know, we live in a day where, where people are not content to do the mundane. But really, in, in the mundane tasks of life, like raising kids and, and working hard to support our family, in those ordinary tasks, they bring great pleasure to the Lord. We please the Lord by, by doing those things. And yes, they're difficult, and yes, they're long, but it actually protects us and keeps us on the straight and narrow, so to speak, rather than being engaged in other people's affairs and not leading a quiet life. So, we want to give ourselves to the work God has done to protect us from leading a noisy, chaotic life. So this is the exhortation that Paul gives, and now we see the two reasons for why he gives them in verse 12. Okay, the two reasons are this. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So the purpose for Paul's expression, or purpose, purpose for Paul's exhortation uh, is seen in this, these two words, so that. Okay, lead a quiet life, work with your hands, so that, he says. And the first is that you can it concerns outsiders or unbelievers. And the second concerns our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? These are the two spheres in which we live. We live in the context of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we live in the context of, of a world that doesn't know Christ. And as, we're, as, as Paul says here, he wants us to, to, to work hard because it, it affects both of these spheres. In terms of outsiders, our hard work or our, our, noise, our noisy life can actually bring reproach 
upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's what he, that's what he says first. Walk properly before outsiders. So keep your head down, mind your own business, work hard so that you'll be a good testimony to an unbelieving world. Now to clarify here, there are going to be many, many occasions where standing for Christ puts us at odds with the world. I mean, Jesus was clear about this. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so living a quiet life does not mean surrendering Christian values in order to please a world around us. That's, that's not what we're talking about. Okay? Where Christian values stand opposed to the world, we stand on our Christian values every time we do so courageously without surrender. But it seems to be that what Paul has in mind is that believers not put any unnecessary offenses or stumbling blocks in the way of the gospel. Right? The gospel is a stumbling block enough as it is. Paul says that it's a stumbling block in, in, 1, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1. But there are times when Christians, <clears throat> excuse me, times when Christians, because of their lack of quietness, put up unnecessary stumbling blocks to the gospel and hinder the testimony of Christ. A good example of this might be the way in which we talk about politics. Now, I have, I have really strong political opinions, right? Why, well, I guess everybody does these days, right? So, but I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm unique in that. Unfortunately, those opinions come out from time to time, admittedly more than they should, okay? Um, but I have concerns for, for our country, for politics, for, for those types of things, and... Um, obviously, it's easy to be concerned in our current context. But I also care about evangelism. And I have people with whom I'm trying to share Christ that I know don't share a similar political commitment to, that, uh, that, that I do. And so it's this constant balance, right, of, of, of knowing how to care about the events of the world, how to articulate them carefully, but not articulating them in a way that actually becomes a stumbling block to the advance of the gospel. So I don't want to lead with or be known for where I stand politically. Okay? Rather, if, if somebody asks, I'll try to give a reasoned approach. I'll try to bring the scriptures to bear on why I'm convinced of, of whatever position I hold. But that's not my fundamental identity, okay, where I stand politically. My fundamental identity is wrapped up in, in union with Christ, and as I seek to, to share the gospel, I, I, want that to, I want to be known for having a, a quiet and, and, and careful life. But unfortunately, in the way in which we, we engage, a lot of people engage in politics is, is, is just obnoxious and puts up an unnecessary barrier to the gospel of, of Christ. And so what we want to do is... is, is live quietly and peaceably in our following Christ and not let something like politics stand in the way of our evangelism. Now, having said that, that is admittedly difficult because we live in a day where most of the issues of, of polit politics today are also moral issues that, that we're wrestling with, right? So to stand on a moral issue is by default a political issue in our day. And so I think about what Paul tells the, the believers in Colossians 4, verse 5. He says this, I, this, is, this, is, this is important. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. 
In other words, you're going to have to be able to navigate the, the challenging situations of this world. Like, like, like Ecclesiastes says, there's going to be a time to speak and a time to keep silent. And it takes wisdom to know when to press in, when to pull out, and, and when to speak about matters and when not to speak about matters. And so as believers, we want to do our best to live a quiet life, represent Christ well, not put up any unnecessary stumbling block to the gospel, and that takes wisdom and care and thought and attention. But I think that's what Paul's driving at here, that the Thessalonians in their, in their noisiness were, were offending even unbelievers so that they were a hindrance to the gospel. So we want to live quiet for the sake of the gospel, but secondly, we want to live quietly so that we become dependent on no one. Now we're talking, Paul's talking about believers uh, and our relationship with them. Right? So this was the case in Thessalonica. They were idle, and they were presuming on, on the care of other people to, to meet their needs. Right? Well, it's okay. This person will take care of me. The church will take care of me. And it no doubt caused conflict within the body of Christ. And so here's what Paul's essentially saying. He's calling these believers to a hard-working independence. It's weird, you know, you know, it's rare that we find in scriptures that we're to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, so to speak. But here's what Paul's saying is, work hard. Don't be dependent on, on other people, but work hard so that you're independent, so that you can minister to the needs of others. In other words, in other words work is, is a good thing that God has created, and you should give yourself to it so that you're not dependent on other people or driving a wedge on, in between you and other people because they have to meet your needs when you won't work. Now, are there times, lots of times, when, when, when genuine needs need to be met in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ? Absolutely. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about people who are idle, can work but won't work, and they're becoming leeches in the body of Christ seeking care. And that disrupts the unity of the body of Christ when people are become dependent on others and not working. So Paul then calls us to a, a quiet life of keeping our head down, minding our own business, and working hard so that we reflect well before outsiders and relate well to insiders. Now in conclusion, I am convinced that there is way too much noise in the Christian world at this particular moment. And, and I think the world around us encourages noise. Like if you don't speak up, you know, you're part of the problem and everybody has to have an opinion on what's taking place and then add to that social media, it gives us a platform for everybody to always express their opinion. And it used to be a day, like if you were going to express an opinion, you actually had to get it published, but now everybody has an opinion and it can get, it can, it can get published. And it just creates a lot of chaos and noise and distraction. What is not encouraged in our world is a quiet, peaceable life. We think that noise accomplishes more. And isn't that always the way of Scripture, that it takes what we think and turns it upside down? That actually what's the better testimony is when we quietly go about our business, work hard, seek to honor Christ, and live as a good testimony. Now, I'll submit, this is probably not something that we think about much. 
It's not something we give a lot of attention to, to give thought, to, to keep our head down and, and to, to please Christ in that way. But I think what we see is that what's so appealing about it is it, it is genuinely attractive in a world of chaos for believers to be silent, calm, collected, with a confident trust in God seeking to please him. And so, brothers, this is what we should give ourselves to in terms of the way we live. As much as we can, quietly going about our business and working hard to please the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the chance to consider what we've studied this morning. And we need help and wisdom to be able to do this in in our noisy world. Most importantly, Lord, we want to reflect you in the way we live. So give us the prudence and insight to do so. And may you be pleased in helping us to advance the gospel by the way that we live. For it's in Christ's name we pray.